Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Nuggets numbers. I'm your host Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night. So for some of us, for for some of us, it's not Monday. Uh, actually, doing doing the first international recording of the Nuggets 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 numbers podcast that I I think I can remember. Uh, so that's kind of cool. It's a it's a nice uh, little little intro there for. A uh, friend of the program and somebody who I respect over at Canis Hoopus, who follows the Minnesota Timberwolves really well, it is Jake Painting. Jake, how are you, man? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Um, it, it's it's really good to be here. It's, it's a show that I have listened to before, and I, I like to kind of keep up with, with all the Western Conference teams. And, and yeah, I'm really happy that you invited me on. I appreciate that, man. I... I, I it's it's going to be interesting to see, and I really wanted to talk about Minnesota today because there are so many things that I think the offseason kind of kicks off with whatever Minnesota decides to do with the number one overall pick. And, and I think that's a really powerful thing to have. It's a really powerful piece of the offseason to really to really kick off and I think the the comparisons between the Nuggets and the T-Wolves are so like they're they're so close together for obvious reasons and uh, I'm just I'm really intrigued to see what what you have to say about what the Wolves are going to do and and kind of just taking it from there and kind of having a a open-ended conversation about the draft free agency and stuff like that yeah yeah I'm excited to get into it um like you said it's it's one of the the few free agency and, and draft kind of periods I can remember where Minnesota have really taken a lot of the the lead stories and have been the the talk of the town in some ways. So I think it's going to be really exciting. It's obviously going to be really different to what we're used to, which is kind of like everything in the world at the moment. But but yeah, <laughs> I'm excited to have to have it kick off. It's what eight nine days until the draft now, so we're we're almost there. It's nuts, man. And for you, for you guys, it's eight. For us, it's still it's still nine. We're recording this at about eleven p.m. on Monday, just to have the the overall time zone overlap just kind of mesh together. And it's 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 interesting. I, I'm I'm excited to kick this thing off. But uh, before we get into anything too specific, I wanted to talk more in generalities about what the NBA is planning on doing. Uh, we just got news over the course of the last hour or so that the NBA calendar and salary cap and luxury tax. Everything has been signed off on. Everything has been agreed to. Uh, it looks like free agency is going to kick off on November 20th, which is two days after the NBA draft. Uh, for a team in Minnesota that has so many ex- like that has so many decisions to make, that has so many moving pieces and moving parts, what did you think when you first saw that schedule and it just really started to materialize how quickly things are going to go? Yeah, I think I think it's tough for Minnesota, and it's probably it's with how congested everything is now. I guess it's it's probably a benefit to teams like Denver and for other kind of elite or borderline elite teams who are who are really comfortable in what they're doing and have that that crop of players that that are going to take them to the next level or going to take them into next season. And and we're really only focusing on adding a piece or two throughout the off season. But for Minnesota, I think. Obviously, they overhauled the complete roster pretty much of the trade deadline. They've got three picks in their arsenal. Towns and D'Angelo Russell have played one game together. So, so for yeah. them, it's already kind of in turmoil before before you even get into the fact that the that the draft and the free agency are, are going to be wrapped up within a week, and and then the season's coming in in less than a month from that. So, I think. It'll be a good test for the new front office, for Gerson Roses and for for Sachin Gupta and and all the all the guys in Minnesota who have kind of only been there for for a year um, to see 
how aligned they are together and, and how much they can make this work through this hectic period because, yeah, like I said, for, for teams who are already trying to to win on the margins and put everything together um, over the court, you know, to put their whole team together and to, to really boost themselves in the next season with, by having to do a lot, um, it's going to be tough. And, and I think for Minnesota, they're definitely in that batch of teams. And, yeah, it's, it's probably not ideal for them, but I, I think... It's what has to be done, and they've obviously, I'm sure they would have been preparing for, for every situation, and this would have been one of those situations where everything comes together within a, within a month or two. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I have to imagine that a front office like Minnesota is really excited to get this thing going because they seem like a front office. Gerson Rosas came from the Daryl Morey school of kind of retooling and, and maneuvering, wheeling and dealing. And like the first thing that we saw him really do, the major, the major thing that we saw him do was trade Robert Covington and, and, and in a four team trade, that was, it was a very complex moving parts uh, thing that was going on. And it, it seems I, at least we thought it was going to work out for Minnesota. I, I'm not so sure now, but like, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting with a team like that that is almost more theoretical than actual at this point, that you're hoping that the moving pieces all mesh together. Uh, they have said that continuity is going to be king in this upcoming season. I don't know how much stock I put into that, but it does make a little bit of sense that for a team that, that is as theoretical as Minnesota's is right now, you said Cat and D'Lo have only played one game together. That's a really tough period to, to get through. Yeah, I mean, and the obviously the coronavirus and and what it's done to the world is a lot bigger than than basketball in general. But sure. uh, it, it really it really hurt the Wolves. Obviously, Town um, D'Angelo Russell comes in the trade. Towns plays one game with him, breaks his wrist. Um, he's out for I think it was you know two to four weeks, and then in that two to four weeks, uh, the league gets shut down. The Timberwolves obviously don't play another game again, and then everyone goes their separate ways, and and no one's really in Minnesota, kind of together practicing. And it's not, it wasn't just Townsend Russell; it was obviously Malik Beasley, uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, uh, James Johnson. the ho- The whole team kind of really came together in an instant, and, and then broke up in an instant. And it's it makes for for interesting headlines and interesting storylines going into next season. But I don't think it's it was the the perfect scenario for for a team that really has struggled for the last you know two years since since Jimmy Butler's departure. So it's yeah, it's it's going to be strange to see what where they come out. I could see them being better than I think. I could see them being a lot worse than I think. I, I really don't know where to kind of place my needle on the team at the moment. I I waver back and forth with Minnesota specifically, uh, given that we know that the that the trade moratorium is going to be lifted like around November 15th, November 16th. And then the draft is November 18th. And then free agency is November 20th. And training camp starts December 1st. Like, are they going to be aggressive? Are they going to try to limit as many moves as possible and bring the core back? Like, like what, what is your read on this situation? Uh, kind of starting from that trade moratorium, uh, do you think they're going to be aggressive on the trade market, especially with that first overall pick? Uh, for sure. I think if there's one thing that we we know with with Gerson Roses, like you said, from the from the Daryl Morey tree of of bringing in stars and, and really just star hunting at, at all times, um, it's that that Rosas is going to try whatever he can to make this team better. And there, there's not a I don't think there has been a moment since he arrived that. Uh, they weren't aggressive in trades and looking to bolster their roster. Um, I think they have faith that they can be a, a good to great offensive team if they surround Russell and Towns with, with supplementary talent that, that they need. But the issue is obviously going to come defensively and, and Rosas has, has spoken about that publicly. He's he's never denied an opportunity to say that he's going to be aggressive. And, and I know for a fact from what I've heard, from, from what I've read and from reliable sources that, that they, they definitely will be looking into trading in the number one pick. Um, they're not going to trade it for the sake of trading it, but they, they really, they really do think that it's an, they think of it as an asset more than a, than a player itself. It's not Zion Williamson. It's not Anthony Davis. It's not even Carl Anthony Towns. It's, 
it's a number one pick in a in an iffy draft, and if that means that they can still leverage the the value that a number one pick inherently has, um, and, and turn it into multiple assets that they can keep racking up assets and try and get to that star level um, package. That that's what they're going to try and do because, like I said, it's it's the Daryl Morey tree. He wants to. Rosas wants to, to find another star to put next to Towns and Russell, and, and whether you consider Russell a star or not, it, um, that they they want to they want that big three or that team that can really compete long term rather than just flame out as an eight seed or a seven seed and kind of hover around that mark. Sure, and in the West, like it's it's just a bloodbath out here. That uh, yeah. the East don't doesn't have to deal with anything like this, where where fifteen teams can realistically go into the the Western Conference season and think, okay, hey, we have a chance in this upcoming season to make the playoffs. It is unbelievable, and it's going to be tough to go from the bottom to the top. And Minnesota wasn't at the bottom, per se. And they they also added a big piece in D'Angelo Russell that should fit better than Andrew Wiggins. But I, I'm curious. Uh, I don't I don't want to use this as, as a just a, a mock trade thing, but uh, how do you feel about – the first overall pick in a Bradley Beal deal, does that move the needle for the Timberwolves? And is that something that Washington would say yes to? Uh, I, I think for sure it, it moves the needle for the Timberwolves. I think they, like I said, they've shown that they're going to be aggressive. They obviously uh, were, were pretty aggressive in their pursuit of, of D'Angelo Russell. They they tried to get him in the offseason. They they had a deal lined up with him before Golden State kind of swooped in and, and lured him to, to the Bay Area. Sure. I think I think Bradley Beal is is a similar kind of situation where where he's he's a better player than D'Angelo Russell in my opinion and obviously a guy who would fit between Towns and Russell. Like he's not gonna take minutes off either guy at their position or, or take the ball out of their hands enough where it kind of ruins the whole flow of things. So I, I think if if Washington were looking to, to move Beal, then Gerson Rosas would be one of the, the first people on the phone to them. But I, I'm not sure. Obviously, this is just conjecture and, and my opinion, but I'm not sure how much the number one pick in, in this kind of strange draft where no one can, can separate themselves at the top. Uh, I'm not sure how much value that holds around the league. It, it obviously still... Hold some just because it's a number one pick. It's it's a shiny asset, but it's it's not the kind of one that where every team's clamoring to to get their hands on the number one pick, sure. or else Minnesota probably wouldn't be looking to trade it in the first place. So um, for me, I, I don't know if Washington would do it. I don't know. I think you'd have to put in a few other assets or, or get a third team involved, most likely, to try and kind of balance out assets to go to Washington. Because that's the problem with Minnesota is. While they've got the number one pick and then they've got Townsend Russell, they don't have really many other assets that are appealing to, to teams and, and they're not going to probably look to move Russell or, or Towns, obviously. So uh, sure. outside outside of the number one pick, it, it's hard to imagine what they're enticing teams with, what, they're, what the kind of carrot that they're dangling for other teams is. So I think if you see them somehow uh, maneuver their way into a trade for a star or a semi-star, um, it'll be through a three-team trade that, that kind of keeps everyone happy. I, I'm i skeptical, definitely, that, that Bradley Beal is on the market anyway, uh, just because yeah. it, it doesn't seem like Washington is willing to do that. But when you get the number one overall pick, I mean, there there are some definite, like, potential possibilities with need, that all you need is uh is one team to fall in love with with one prospect and that's i think that's what they're looking for if if one team falls in love with Lamelo ball or anthony edwards or james wiseman then all of a sudden that whole market shifts and and maybe that team's willing to give up a bit more than every other team is so i think that's that's what they're waiting for i i do think on draft night you, you will see Minnesota involved in, in something that's not just a pick. I think they will make a trade, whether it's with the first, with, with Brooklyn's pick, or, or even with their second rounder, which is still a pretty valuable pick at 33. Um, I, I really just think that Minnesota will be prevalent on draft night. So even even without the number one pick, I think they'll be prevalent in other ways. So, uh, yeah, it should be fun. All right, that's a good lead-in, I think, to just – 
talking about who the best prospects in this draft are because there is a lot of consternation, I would say, about the the top picks in this draft and, and what we think makes sense for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Well, we make sense for any of the top teams in the in the top three in this draft, I would say, because there are just a lot of there are a lot of questions about the top prospects. So I, I want to lead in with this. Uh, if you had the number one overall pick and you did you couldn't trade the pick. Who are you taking to pair with Cat and D'Lo going forward? Uh, I think I think it's Anthony Edwards still for me. Um, I I have the, I think like you said, there's, there's more question marks, there's more questions than answers with with these prospects, and uh, I'm I'm a big fan of of Lamelo Ball as well. I, I like Edwards. I just think that in terms of, of team building. Uh, and, and the way Minnesota are building their team with, with Towns and Russell, I just think that Edwards makes a little bit more sense. Uh, I think with, with Ball, you have to kind of structure your team more around him and and kind of play a system that maximizes him. And with sure. Edwards, with Edwards you, you, you still have to do it in a similar way, but I think you can drop Edwards into the Timberwolves roster pretty, pretty more seamlessly. So... It's it's still Edwards. It's it's a Edwards with a a question mark at the end and a and I'm not sure caveat. But uh, I think I think for me it's Edwards. I I think it it will be if they do choose at number one, it will be one of those guys. If I had to make a an educated guess, but yeah yeah for me it's Edwards. Do you feel the same way? You know when you look at the top of this draft, or is there a guy that kind of stands out to you? Yeah, no, Edwards would probably be the guy I would pick. Uh, I did a big board for the Nuggets, and I, I evaluated every pick or every every prospect. So I, it went up to Edwards, Ball, and and Wiseman. Even though there's there's no chance that they're gonna draft any of those guys, but like I had Edwards as the guy that makes the most sense for the Nuggets, and by proxy, I think he probably makes the most sense for uh, the T Wolves, just because they're even though you just traded for Malik Beasley and, and Jarek Culver's on the roster and Josh Okogie's on the roster. There have been a lot of shooting guards that have, have kind of gone and went through the uh, through Minnesota, but I think that this could be the best one, and this is the one that makes the most sense as a physically dominant and athletic uh, player who could transition into a star. I kind of liken him a little bit to Donovan Mitchell, but he's bigger. Uh, and And I think there are reasons to think that that's a good thing, that that's a bad thing, that that might not even be true. Uh, but there's been some Wiseman smokescreen. There's been some Lamella Ball discussion. I, I'm not sure if that's smokescreen or anything, but if I had to come down to it, I would pick Edwards. Yeah, and and like you said, which is very true, the the smoke it's smokescreen season, so. It's so hard to believe anything that, that you read or that you hear in, in a report, especially with Minnesota, who are really uh, known to be trying to trying to drum up interest in this number one pick and, and hopefully get someone to, to buy it and to give them a really good asset or two back, um, especially in a trade-back scenario where they can kind of maybe end up in the mid-lottery and still get a future asset. That I know they'd love a future pick next season, but just because uh, their, their 2021 pick... Uh, is currently with Golden State unless they finish in the top three, so it's top three protected, which is not completely out of the question, but probably unlikely. And um, so I know that they would like to get an unprotected or even a lightly protected first round pick net back next year, but it seems like like not many teams are are willing to bite on that, just because a lot of teams I think in the mid lottery kind of are, are feeling pretty safe there as well, just for the same reasons why Minnesota want to move back, just because there is. There is really good role players to be had in, in this class, and and not many surefire stars. So it's it's a tough right. one. I think I think with Edwards, he obviously has the, the shot creation and and the physical tools and the 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 look and the feel about him that he could be a star. And then the questions come with his mentality and and with uh, his his motor and his drive, but. I don't know. I guess that that's what yeah. That's the risk you have to take if there's no clear number one and you don't you can't find a trade to a trade partner to, to deal with. Then you have to take someone like Edwards or Ball and work with their flaws and <clears throat> yeah. I guess trust your development staff and and trust that you can turn this guy into a star or at least into a guy who you can flip down the line and still 
holds enough value to to be worth it. If you drafted Edwards at first overall, do you think he would slot it as a starter immediately? Yeah, I've thought about this a lot because, I, I like I said, I do think that they will draft Edwards if they stay. And, I mean, it's tough. Do, do you do you slot him into to the lineup and move Beasley if we're assuming, which which might not be the correct assumption anymore, that, Be- that Beasley will be back? Um, do, you, do you slot him into the starting lineup and move Beasley into the bench? I don't think you can play Beasley, Russell, and Edwards at the same time just because the defensive issues that are already pretty prevalent yeah. are going to be, you know, even worse with those three together. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think if you, I think Beasley will be a really good sixth man, someone who can play 25 minutes a game. But, but as you'd know, you know, better than most, he, he's always played better as a starter when he's been given the, the leash to kind of, and, and the freedom to be, to be that starting two. But I think if you put Edwards on the bench and you let him run with, with reserves, maybe those shot selection uh, issues and the not not ball hogging, but kind of trying to take over and trying to do too much. I think maybe those issues rear their ugly head again. So I think if if I had to choose, I would probably start Edwards and bring Beasley off the bench. But I, I, if it happened, I could see it going either way. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in seeing where it goes ultimately, just because. I, I tend to think that Edwards, what he struggles with most is what the role player stuff that you probably need him to do is to be a good catch and shoot guy. It's to be a good solid team defender. It's to uh, just just kind of stick with it for for most of the time and and be a a low mistake player uh, yeah. in a starting lineup and and on the floor for as much time as possible. Because you want a guy like that to be able to stick on the floor because he's naturally going to be able to find some points and some some assists and some rebounds and just be able to do things with his physical profile and his shot profile that, that he wouldn't normally be able to do in a smaller role. So I, I would start him and I would say, hey, you are the third or fourth option on most nights and you have to learn to deal with that and we're going to work you into some more stuff eventually but it's at least really intriguing to try to figure out what the T-Wolves would want from that position there's there's reason to think that they may want LaMelo Ball and say hey you're going to be our facilitator D'Lo and Cat are going to be our scorers and we're going to be a top five offense definitely going forward and I don't know yeah. I, I don't know about that but like we're, we'll see like like maybe that's something that they value well, I think, yeah, I think if they take LaMelo, then they've really set themselves in stone, haven't they? They're, they're going to be a fast-paced offense. They're going to move and run, and uh, Towns is going to get a ton of easy buckets. They're probably going to uh, play D'Angelo Russell more off the ball in kind of a, a two-guard, combo-guard kind of role, which I do like him as a shooter. I think he when he does get the chance to, to play off the ball, he does move really well, and he's got the instincts of a guy who... Who knows how to score off the ball? Um, obviously, defensively, it's it's going to be a mess. I think it'll be a mess with Edwards. I just think there's not there's not an option here at the top of the draft that that fixes your defensive problems. So sure. if they believe that that running multiple ball handlers is kind of the the way the NBA is going, and that um, Lamelo and Tao, like Lamelo, might be the the only guy in this draft that that really optimizes towns and that that makes him a better player from day one and if and maybe that's the path they go down i i wouldn't be surprised at all because those things that i'm saying make sense to me i mean the the goal is i guess to to make your best player the best player if that makes sense so sure sure. i I think i think lamello ball does that and he definitely does that more than edwards but i think edwards has a better chance to be the best player um rather than kind of make your team better um, in, in a in a Lonzo Ball kind of way or in a, um, I'm trying to think of another one, but, you know, in, in, a, in a player where, where they're not going to dominate on the on the score sheet, but they're going to do all the little things and, and really make your big man better. Yeah, it's a, a Rajon Rondo type. It's a, it's yeah. a playmaker who's not going to get on the score sheet a ton, but he, he's also a guy who's not shy about shooting. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to to what he does in the league. I feel like there are a lot of teams that don't really need what LaMelo Ball does in yeah. in this case. And I hope he gets to a team like Detroit. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure if that's like, if that's even viable, but he needs, he needs his own team, but he also needs like, 
he he needs structure as well, and and that's not a good fit for him either. So I don't know. I don't know what the best fit for him is. Uh, let's let's. I one more question before we transition into a couple of other things. Uh, if it wasn't the top three, if you ended up trading down, is there one pick that you had to have? Um, well, for me, this is this is the sweet spot for me. I think if you get down to four, between four and ten, where you kind of bypass the the big swings of of Edwards, Ball, Wiseman, um, then you start to get to the players who who can really help you from day one. And for me, it's it's Devin Vassell. Uh, obviously, you know, without the the strange shooting video included, he um, <laughs> he is a, a an elite three and D kind of prospect. He shot forty one percent both years at, at Florida State. One of the better team defenders that I've ever sat down and, and, and scouted. I don't think he's going to be like a an on on ball menace defensively, but just a really smart team defender. Really long, um, very very active, and always got his head on the swivel. Um, and you can. You know, without going too deep into it, you can imagine how a player like that helps Minnesota straight away. Uh, sure. Isaac Okoro Isaac is kind of the same. He he doesn't have the shooting, and and maybe that that's a bit redundant with with Jared Culver and and Josh Akogi, but he's an an excellent excellent defender, both on ball and off ball. Uh, big, strong, great finisher around the rim, great slasher. Um, and then Killian Hayes, I think, who, who's number one on my board, Hayes, overall. I, I don't think that there's really a chance Minnesota draft him just because a lot of his go-to strengths uh, clash with D'Angelo Russell even more than, than Lamelo Ball does. And it seems from everything you hear that, that the the buzz around Hayes is a little bit lower, but, but I really do think Hayes has the best uh, combination of, of ceiling and floor. Um I think he'll be a really good player. So, so I think if you trade down to one of them, uh, you get into the four to seven, four to eight range, and you get one of those guys, you're probably going to be a better team next year. But, but maybe you don't have the same kind of ceiling as if you take a, a Ball or Edwards, and they end up turning into a, an out and out star. Interesting. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious as I, I'll, I'll probably have some more of this discussion in the second half of this podcast, but listed a lot of the guys that I think uh, the Nuggets would be interested in trading up for. So it's that yep. range, that, that, that six to And like you said, they're, they're very similar um, roster constructions. So so it makes sense that those guys fit on both those teams and appeal to both of us as, as fans of separate teams. 100%. Um, quickly, uh, checking in on Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Jared Vanderbilt, before we go to a break, uh, Obviously, Beasley's legal situation has really changed things for them there. Uh, I don't, I don't want to get too much into that, but is that a situation that you think could potentially prevent Minnesota from re-signing him going forward? Uh, I, know, I know they really they really liked Beasley, and they I, I wager that they still do really like him as a player, and they loved what he brought to the team. I mean, he averaged 20, 21 points a game, shot 42% on, on eight or nine threes a game, so... Yeah. While uh, while unsustainable, probably uh, over the course of a full season, it, it shows uh, what he can do, and and obviously you and and the Nuggets fans listening know what he can do when he's when he's really up and about. But I, I think I think the court date is is you know in the next week or two. I think that really decides if if more kind of terrible details come out and really off putting details come out, then maybe Minnesota take things in another direction, especially with the option, I guess, to, to draft Anthony Edwards if, if need be. Um, but if I, ha- if I had to choose, if you, if you made me go one way or the other, I think he will be back. I think they do like him. I think that, uh, you know, he's not the first NBA player to kind of get into trouble with the law, and I, and I doubt he'll be the last, and, and I'm certainly not sure. advocating, I'm advocating that at all, but I think that um, I think they'll, they'll try and work through it with him and Maybe, maybe they take a couple, a couple of zeros off, off the end of that deal. But, but I think that he'll, he'll probably get paid this off season fairly, fairly comfortably. And, and I do believe he'll be back. But yeah, I, I think it all hinges on, on the, on the details that come out after the court date, and, and obviously what happens after the court date, whether he's, you know, what kind of trouble he gets into. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one, and it's, it's, it's not a pretty situation either. 
it's tough. It's also tough to talk about without knowing every detail in the situation. And, right. and you, you don't want to cast a shadow over somebody that, that, that doesn't really exist. So yeah, exactly. I, I, I want, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Everything sounds pretty bad. However, I, I think Malik Beasley is a good person and I, I was saddened to hear about the situation that's going on. Um, real quick, watch Hernan Gomez, uh, do you like him going forward on this roster? What what does his role look like? Is he is he somebody that's that's considered an integral piece or not? Yeah, well, well, they kind of they kind of had opposite summers or, or off seasons, haven't they? I mean, he's yeah. li- he's living his best life. He's out with Adam Sandler making Netflix movies. So um, we have we have laughed so much about that over over <laughs> here on the Denver side of things. He's he's a guy that we never thought could could be a an Adam Sandler movie kind of guy, but but he's fun. He's he's enjoyable, and and he's got a great energy about him. Yeah, and. And I think he endeared himself to fans pretty quickly. I mean, I I haven't followed his career overly closely, but but I I guess that 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 fifteen game stretch was probably the best of his career. I think he averaged you know fourteen and seven, shot shot over forty percent from three as well on, on pretty decent uh, three point rate. So uh, I think it's tough for me because I, I'm I'm a, I think I'm more on the outside of, of of Hernan Gomez than I am on the inside, just because what he does really well, I think you can probably supplement elsewhere, and what he doesn't do uh, really kind of adds to the problems that Minnesota have. I don't think you can start him next to Towns. He he's just not a good enough defender. Doesn't finish at the rim and as well. Um, very good cutter and obviously very good shooter, and as you said, just a likable dude. But um, I don't think I think if you bring him back, it'll have to be in a bench role, and then it's kind of like, well, well, how much are you paying him? Because if you're paying him to to give you, you know, similar production that a, that a Jake Lehman can give you, who's already on the bench at, at three mil annually, um, maybe it's not worth it. If he wants, you know, somewhere just underneath the kind of mid level, like a six to eight million range, I, I don't see how Minnesota can justify paying him that when when they really need to work on the margins around Towns and Russell's huge contracts. So, and then Beasley's probably going, you know, if Beasley does come back, that's probably somewhere between 10 to 15 million as well. Um, it's, if it, if it's a cheap deal, I think they'd be more than willing to have him back. They haven't, they've mentioned him a lot when, when talking about the salary cap, uh, they always seem to mention Beasley and Wancho. So, uh, by, by all accounts and, and, and that obviously you can take those comments with a grain of salt from, from front offices, but, uh, sure. They, they seem like they're keen to bring him back, but for me, I, I just don't see where he, I don't see him as a starter, and I don't know how much he gives you off the bench if you have to to pay overs for him. Yeah, it's definitely it's a realistic it's a realistic thing to think about. It's definitely not something that anybody would question in, in terms of not bringing him back. Uh, we love him though. We we think he's great, and and it was it was really sad to see him go because of how much energy he brought to to the Nuggets bench and and to the just the the overall the overall demeanor of the team. I think a lot of people were were a lot like they were a lot sadder to see him go than to see Beasley go. Uh, yeah, and, despite and the I fact that with him, Beasley's good. I think with like, him, like, it's yeah. I think with him, it's it's. It's hard because, like you said, he he was so fun and he brought so much energy, especially to a team that that had won, you know, fifteen games or something when he arrived. Like there was no energy in Target Center, there was no energy in the fan base. Um, he and Beasley brought uh, just fun back to the arena, even if it didn't always result in, in, in wins. But but you know, Beasley hit seven threes against the Clippers in his first game, and and Minnesota beat them by thirty five points or something with with, with Kawhi and. Uh, Paul George playing and Wancho sure. did his thing and Wancho did his thing as well and um, so so when I say I don't know if I want him back it's definitely not him the person because I love that kind of energy it's just I think that he probably deserves more money than than Minnesota should be willing to pay if that makes sense and if he was to come back on a cheaper deal the one that made sense um, with the salary cap and especially with the the lowered salary cap then, then I definitely wouldn't be mad because because he's a fun dude and a fun player. But yeah, it, it's more of a fit thing than a, than a player thing, I think, with him. 
Yeah, if I, if I were the T-Wolves, I would, I would probably prefer him over Jake Lehman. Uh, but that's that's not for me to really decide. So it's, it's yeah, all good. Yeah, I think the problem um, is that I think the problem is that you've already got Lehman and he's already guaranteed for two more years. So if they were both free agents, I think I would definitely agree with you that I'd prefer him over Lehman. But I don't think they... I think, you know, they're, they're in the luxury tax, Minnesota, and they came 15th, so in the West. So sure, at some point, sure. at some point, you've got to cut costs and if that means um one show then i think that's that's one of the the guys that is probably uh pretty high on the list of cost cutting and unfortunately for for, for him and for for the wolves do you have a jared vanderbilt take before we go to a break love him um <laughs> i <laughs> i think i think he jared vanderbilt is more of of what you imagine him as rather than than what he is just because he's never really got the chance to to do what we think he can do. And I know from, from listening to, to Denver guys that, that you have kind of been in the same boat where where you want to see him unleashed, but you know that, that the situation's really never dictated that he can be unleashed. So um, I love him. I think at, at the at his you know, ceiling that I imagine that he can get to, he, he is the kind of guy who you can partner next to Towns, that, that energetic, rebounding, defending big who can who can handle the ball a little bit and hopefully one day you know make threes reliably uh, reliably but um yeah it's it's like it was in denver he's he's buried on the bench at the moment and um for a team that already has 14 guys on their roster and and three picks um up their sleeve he might be a guy who gets who gets pushed out as well but but they've also spent the entire summer and you know in the little um in market bubble and and whatnot, uh, he got a lot of un unprompted praise from Rosas and from Saunders as one of the guys who was really standing out and and a guy who can go up a position and play at the five as a small ball five, a guy who can move down a position and play as a three. Um, so so I think he'll stay, and I'm just hoping one day that we actually get to see what he can do before you know it kind of all fizzles out for him without getting a real chance. I'm hopeful. He's a he's a guy that, like you said, makes sense in theory and and should be a guy that fits really well. Does a lot of the dirty work. Does a lot of the the tough stuff that you don't want the scorers and playmakers to have to do. So, I'm curious. I'm curious to see it. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about the comparison between the Nuggets and the Wolves and talk a little bit about the the middle of this draft. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And we're back. Nuggets numbers. Ryan Blackburn here, joined by Jake Painting of Canis Hoopus. He hosts the Paint Points podcast on the minnesota website there so make sure to take a look at that does a lot of great stuff over for the minnesota side of things for sb nation so going to be really interesting to follow this thing and and uh if you're looking to to see the nuggets before they were the nuggets and and whether they whether they could end up end up taking a leap this this minnesota team is going to be really interesting because i think the the Jokic and Towns comparison is very clear. The Murray and Russell comparison is very clear. Let me ask you this, as as unbiased as possible, uh, how far do you think the Minnesota duo is from looking like the Denver duo in the bubble? Uh, I, I think I think fairly far, whilst still acknowledging that I think for sure Towns is a is a superstar. Um, Russell, you know, you can fall on either side of the fence, I think, with Russell, but I think he's a a fringe all-star, maybe a little bit lower, but but I think if we're talking, you know, Michael Jordan, Jamal Murray, then 
and he's a long way from he's a long way from that. Um, True, but, but I think I think I think Jokic has separated himself from Towns. I think that the the comparison between those two was was apt at one stage, but I don't think it is anymore. With with Jokic's growth as a defender, obviously just a generational passer and kind of offensive fulcrum. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, yeah, Murray. If Murray kind of not even if he's uh, bubble Murray, if he's kind of just takes that that natural leap that, that we are both expect him to, um, especially coming off um, the bubble and with the with the confidence that he will have from that, I think you can pretty safely say that that he's a, a tier above uh, D'Angelo Russell, uh, and that's that's kind of where the 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 comparison is there just because, you know, you've got the, the offensive fulcrum big man who can pass, dribble, shoot, score effectively at all three levels and then has the one generational string on their bow, I guess, like that you've got Jokic's playmaking and, and then Towns' three-point shooting. And then you've got the sure. shot-making the shot making kind of combo guard who can who can get hot on any night and, and give you 35. So that's the framework, but, but with... With respect to, to the Wolves players, obviously that that's there's a long way to go. And whenever you, we talk about these similarities, I think there's the big caveat that that Denver have obviously done all these things a lot better, and that's why they were in the Western Conference Finals, and Minnesota came second to last. Yeah, and and I I hope that people don't take that the wrong way because I think the gap is smaller than most people seem to think. Like. I would take Towns over Gobert as a center that I'd want to build around. I would take him yeah. over Bam as a center I'd want to build around. I, I it's it's on the same tier with Embiid. I tend to lean Towns just because of the health, and I know that Towns was injured this past year, but it was a broken wrist. Like that's that's hard to it's hard to really like you can't judge that, and that's that's not going to happen again. So like, uh, knock on wood. Uh, with Murray and Russell, like. I can see Russell in a situation where he's paired with another elite talent really blossoming, where that talent is really interacting with him on a consistent basis like Towns is, where he's either rolling or popping and doing a lot of fun things. And I think the where the duo really separates himself, I think the Nuggets duo has, has found a little bit more of the rhythm defensively. And I think that the supporting cast has really separated themselves as as a a more competent group a veteran group uh guys that have been around together for a while gary harris will barton paul Millsap, jeremy grant brought into the fold monte morris as a backup point guard guys like that the the t-wolves has a while to to get to that threshold but they can i i think that there's a reasonable belief that they can get there uh but do, do you agree with everything that i just said yeah, yeah, I completely agree, and and I've I've wrote about the the similarities, the the kind of comparison between uh, Denver and Minnesota, and I think the two, outside of um, the role players and and the continuity that that um, you find with those role players and being together for for multiple years, I think the the two things that stand out to me that that are huge differences and really do bridge that gap fairly sizably is um, first is I think the X factors, which is uh, Michael Porter Jr. and Will Barton. Uh, Minnesota don't have a guy like that. Like they're not a guy who who are going to be your best player, but they're going to be. Well, we don't know with with MPJ, but you know at the moment uh, they're not the guy who who are going to win you fifty five games, but they can win you a game on any given night. And I don't sure. think that I don't think that Jared Culver or Josh Okogie, you know, like they're not those kind of players. And, and I think in in general, NBA circles, Will Barton is just super underrated. Like I'm sure he's not in in Nugget circles, but I think that he's he's certainly an X factor. Um, Porter Junior is obviously just still blossoming into whatever he could be, some sort of alien, you know, six ten alien. Yeah, we're, so, we're, and, we're hopeful, but we don't really know. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, like he he won games by himself, you know, in the bubble or and throughout the season just by. You know, he just has that one game where he might score thirty-five, and he's six foot ten, and you know he can do things that guys his size can't do. And Minnesota don't have that that X factor, that difference maker. And then I think more importantly is is the do it all defender, the the Paul Millsap, the the Jeremy Grant this year, the the guy who kind of the, is the, is the glue that holds um, 
maybe some, I think not really as much anymore, but below average defenders together. I think that it's hard to understate how much Millsap, especially kind of, you know, more before this year, but, but in previous years has, has brought Jokic uh, along and, and really sure. showed him, you know, how to be a, a great, uh, not a great defender, but, but a competent defender and, even when when Jokic did inevitably make those mistakes, um, Millsap is is there to to mop up some of the mess, and, and Grant is the same kind of player, and that's why um, a lot of Timberwolves fans were, were really keen on on bringing Grant in throughout the season because he just seemed like a mid level guy. But but I think that that dreams died, that dream died in the bubble when yeah. he kind of turned into. <laughs> Well, he, he was Scotty Pippen and, and Jamal Murray was was Michael Jordan and then Jokic was just some other uh, freak of nature. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think they're the two they're the two things. That, that offensive difference maker who can kind of um, fill the gaps between your big, your big man star and your scoring guard and then the do-it-all defender who, who mops up a lot of messes and puts out a lot of fires defensively. Yeah, I, I was going to frame the conversation a little bit differently, but I think it leads perfectly into that. Like, I think the Nuggets, they found a formula that works in the playoffs. They found these these long athletic wings who yep. you can space the floor around the duo, switch defensively. Uh, Porter's not a great defender by any stretch of the word, but it does help that he is six foot ten and that yep. he's athletic and can cover ground. Like, there was uh, the game against the Clippers where... He hit the shot over Lou Williams uh, on the right wing and just kind of took a, what was a contested shot, just just kind of rose up. But then the, the less heralded play was defensively where he switched and rotated onto Ivisa Zubac and blocked his dunk at the rim. Like the, the ability to do that and the ability and the confidence to be able to do that on both ends of the floor is it's it's something that the nugget that nuggets fans have have long dreamed about to surround guys like Murray and Jokic with pieces in the middle there that could really bridge that gap as you said and so i think that's a really great f- a frame of reference to discuss how minnesota can continue to get better uh, does anthony edwards check any of those boxes yeah well i think i think you could you could see him checking the the barton mpj kind of box right like sure it's, they're obviously different players all three of those guys are different players but he's the kind of the x factor the wild card the guy who who can give you five points or he can give you 35 and and sometimes those players are going to be frustrating i know i'm sure you were had games where you were frustrated with michael porter jr but then sometimes oh, yeah. the, sometimes they're match winners and and when they're match winners um you know that that really pushes your team. When when Porter Junior is playing well, and and so is Murray, and so is Jokic. Like all of a sudden, you feel unbeatable, and especially offensively. And I think uh, with with Denver, uh, and obviously at any time, correct me if I'm wrong, because because I I watch as much of the Nuggets as I can because they're a really fun team. But I'm still, you know, not not covering the Nuggets. But I feel like sure, they've never sure. been they've never been the elite offensive team, but they are uh, defensive team. Sorry, but they. They found a way to to do enough defensively and to kind of be that middle of the pack defensive team where it allows their offense to win them games more than their defense loses them games and and that's where I think Minnesota need to find themselves. They need to find guys who can raise their ceiling defensively and and that's not going to be a top five defense or a top ten even maybe defense. But if you finish fifteenth in defense and and fifth in offense, um, all of a sudden you're winning games. You're winning fifty games. But so. Right. Uh, it really does come down to the defense, and then yeah, finding that one guy. Maybe it is Anthony Edwards, and um, who can who can give you a little bit of something different when when either Towns or, or Russell aren't on, or just mixing them all together to make a, a really potent offense. I'm I'm interested in it. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to see how Minnesota really really handles that situation. Uh, kind of transitioning back into some draft discussion. Uh, I think there are players that resemble that formula for big athletic wings who can space the floor and defend. There aren't a lot of them, but there are some guys who who might be able to do that. Who might, in, if if you add Anthony Edwards and you add another piece or two, then then there are ways to to really bolster this roster. Uh, and actually, quickly before I hit hit there on the defensive points, what the Nuggets really found 
over the course of the past two years was that they don't have to lock in all the time. Is that they they have to have their moments where and they have to have the capacity to lock in. And if if they're going to try, they have to pick and choose their moments. But it's so hard. It is so difficult to be an elite offensive team and an elite defensive team. You can have the physical athletes of a Milwaukee Bucks organization that when you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, it makes everything easier. When you have uh, the Toronto Raptors guys and you have OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, it makes everything easier. The Nuggets don't have guys like that. At least they didn't end their starting lineup, but... They did have guys who, when they could lock in, when they when they were asked to try hard for 48 minutes, they could do that. And so if Russell and Towns can get to that point where where it's it doesn't have to be every night, but it has to be at the right moments, then I think they could they could really make a leap there. But it also takes adding some additional personnel that can make the right call every single time and can help yeah. them out. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean and even uh, going back to kind of the comparison between uh, Murray and Russell and, and Towns and Jokic, I think that I don't think either of them or, or any of them have ever been as low as, as Russell is on, on the defensive totem pole. Uh, and and that, that creates issues in itself, uh, especially when, you know, you know, pick and roll is the most common play in basketball. It's every time up the court, oh, yeah. someone's running a pick and roll. So if Russell and Towns are, are your pick and roll coverage, um, you're going to lose more than you win. So I think what what we saw towards the end of the season, obviously Towns wasn't there, but but Nas Reed was there who's, you know, in his first 15 games of NBA basketball. So he, he was struggling defensively as well. Um, what we saw is Josh Akogi play at the point of attack against any team that you could hide Russell on. Uh, if you can hide Russell on, on a wing that's, that's only scoring, you know, eight points a game, um, if they won't go to that guy every time, then, then you just kind of let him go to that time, that guy. Like, let him beat you. Um, and then Cody's a, a, a really wonderful uh, point of attack defender. So I think you, you've got to get creative with it. You've got to, you know, it, it's the same. You know, you've got your Gary Harris and your, and your Tory Craig. Like, that's your, that's your a Cody Culver kind of comparison, I think, right there. Sure, so, sure. Um, you, you, need to get to, you need to get creative. You need to find ways. Obviously... Towns and Russell need to improve themselves. You, you you never get you never take the next step unless they improve. You know that that twenty five percent like Jokic and Murray did. Um, but you need to find other ways. You need to find ways to insulate those guys. And and I think that comes through free agency. It comes through the in this year the 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 middle of the draft where you're not swinging for an Edwards or a Ball. I think you can find a good defender. Um, but it's tough that these guys don't grow on trees. So um, they chose to kind of. Um, dropped Russell in there as the centerpiece, and I'm sure they knew that there'd be defensive problems. So, I have no doubts that uh, that that Rosas is is working feverishly behind the scenes to to find <laughs> someone who can who can insulate those guys. Uh, and and if you drop in Anthony Edwards there, then it it becomes <laughs> even more difficult yeah. to kind of insulate him. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, really quick before we before we head out of here, uh, who are some wings and some forwards that you have circled as in that formula for big athletic guys who can space the floor and defend? Uh, the guys I said earlier, I think, well, uh, Vassell is obviously the perfect one, but, but you know, you need to do a little bit of moving and shaking before you can get him. It's not He's not going to be there at 17 with the, the Brooklyn Nets pick that they hold. Um, sure. Akora is the same. He's, he's not going to be there. Uh, I think Sadiq Bey is one that, that gets mentioned a lot. I, I'm not... In love with Bay's uh, defensive chops, but I think he's you know he's a six foot eight forward. He could probably play the, the four or the three. Um, Patrick Williams is one that the draft Twitter and, and Twitter in general have fallen in love with. Um, every podcast and whatnot I listen to, I keep hearing that he's pretty much a lock to go in the top ten. So so that kind of eliminate him, eliminates him too. So it's it's just tough. Josh Green is one that that I think there at seventeen. Um, he's an Australian, so so I'm naturally. Um, you know, drawn to him, but but he's a great defender and can hit spot up threes, and and that's about it. But but maybe that's maybe that's enough. So Tyrese Maxey, I'm a huge Tyrese Maxey fan. He seems to be falling on draft boards. Um, he's six on my board, so um, I, I'm really nice. high on Maxey. I think he'll be an excellent guard defender, um, and someone who can who can take pressure off a ball handler as well. So. If, if I think if Maxi fell to seventeen, he'd be the guy. I know he can't play 
he's not that long, big wing, but I think he can play as a two guard and kind of um, take pressure off the point of attack. And then you, you maybe slide a Cody up or you slide Culver up to the three and, and, and maybe that's how you, you insulate them a little bit better. Man, the Teals are in a really fascinating situation because if they add <laughs> Edwards and Maxi and and they keep Culver and they keep a Kogi and they sign Beasley, like there's just so many guards that probably deserve to play that need development in order to get better. And yeah. and I'm I'm curious to see how that how that ultimately pans out. Like I think they're they're probably due for a consolidation trade, but trading six foot seven or trading trading uh six foot four guys for six foot seven guys is really tough nowadays yeah it's uh yeah. it's a it's a tough proposition we know that for sure um one guy who you didn't mention is Tyler Bay of CU he's probably a guy that you would hope is there I think you have the 35th pick is that correct uh 33rd 33rd okay he's probably a guy that you hope is at 33. Uh, I don't think he's going to last that far. I think he's probably going to go in the first round, probably somewhere in between that that 17 and 33 range. Um, we'll see what that ultimately does and wh- and whether he whether he is there. But he's a guy who's a a three four hybrid, who's six foot seven, very physical, big leaper, big defender, guy who could potentially switch one through five. Uh, Sam Vecini's really low on him. I I don't really get it. I I think like if he can shoot at the next level, then then we're talking about a guy who is like Jeremy Grant is like a is like a role player who could potentially slot in as the perfect complementary piece for a team with a one five combo. Yeah, yeah, I I really like Bay. Um, obviously, I mentioned Sadiq and, and Tyler. You know, the same thing. I think Tyler's a freak athlete. Um. Uh, a guy who can can probably almost play as, as a small ball five in, in today's NBA against those teams that go smaller. So um, he would be a really a really good pick um, as someone to kind of not not the Millsap, but but in that same way as that, as that weak side helper and and the guy who can can mop up a few messes um, that that Towns will inevitably inevitably make. Um, I think I worry maybe it's what Vecini is low on. I do worry about his offense in general. Um, there's a lot of like a lot of post ups at, at Colorado. I think they they pretty much had him in the post all game. You know every offensive possession, he hit forty one percent of his threes, but it was on like one attempt a game, um, and, he, and he never sure. and he never really looked like he wanted to shoot threes. And maybe that was just a function of of Colorado's offense. It's, it's so hard to. To judge these things from afar, but but like you said, if, if he shoots um, and he goes in the twenties, he's going to be a steal. Let me just look up quick quickly the the stats for Brandon Clark uh, in in yeah. Gonzaga because uh, he's a guy who kind of reminds me of he should have went in the top five. Like I had Brandon Clark in my top five last year, and I think that was me too. The, it was the high, uh, the wingspan and the the age and the, and it's what. GMs fall for every year that that these guys that are 22 and that that don't have you know a physical profile that jumps off the page uh, aren't worth drafting and you just knew that he was going to end up uh, falling and really selling it and I thought it would be on a playoff team and it ended up still being a team that was that was lower the year before in Memphis but you know you could see what he did to that team pretty much immediately. Yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit different like like. Clark averaged like three point two blocks and at one point five steals, and that's yeah. that's a little bit absurd. That's that's not something that Bay <laughs> was doing. He was at one point two blocks and one point five steals, but Clark averaged like sixty one percent from the free throw line, and then Bay's at seventy five percent. So like, yeah. I think there is there is at least some possibility that he could shoot at the next level. And, and his stroke and, looks but, nice. Like his stroke looks yeah. fine as well. Yeah, like like there's there's some utility there, and you don't need him to be a forty percent guy, but a a thirty five percent guy who plays great defense, uh, I'll take it. Like that's that's a step up, I would say. Um, so is, are they the kind of guys you're you're looking at for for Denver at twenty two? I mean, I don't think they're gonna, I don't think they're in the position to to take the big swing on a Porter Junior or a Bol Bol. Like I think this is the year where they where they take the quote unquote safe pick and kind of really. Uh, just bolster their roster and and put another another piece that can can impact immediately around uh, the the current crop of players. Is that how you feel? Yeah. Well, the entire Nuggets fan base loves Pokachevsky, uh for <laughs> for like like 
obvious reasons. He's a Serbian kind of unicorn who I, I don't really know how to describe him, but like he's a he's a fascinating piece. He's a guy that if I were Minnesota, I would, I would consider drafting at 17 if he's there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just because like you're going for ceiling at that point. Yeah. Uh, but the guys who I had circled, uh, Devin Vassell, Isaac Okoro, Patrick Williams, Denny Advia, uh, Ad, pronounce that name for me. Avdia. Avdia. Like yeah, what? Yeah. You know what it is? It's the consonants <laughs> that are all together that it's hard yeah. for my eyes to really discern. It's Avdia. It shouldn't be spelt like that. Like words shouldn't be spelt <laughs> like his name. And your brain knows that. <laughs> uh, Avdia is another guy. Sadiq Bay, Tyler Bay, Josh Green. Like I, I'm on the same page with you as like the wings that prote- project as decent defenders and and shooters. Uh, kind of bridging the gap between a point guard and a center. Uh, bigger players that I think could play next to Towns and could probably play next to Jokic that I like, Precious Ashua, uh, Paul Reed, Xavier Tillman, guys guys yeah. in that ilk. Like, I don't think I would be drafting a straight-up backup center, and I don't think Xavier Tillman's a straight-up backup center, but he, he might be. I, I don't know. But, like, he might work next to Towns because Towns is a freaking legend of a shooter. Um, yeah. But I really like Achua and I really like Paul Reed. Yeah, I'm on the same page. I really like Tillman, and I think even if if you if you replaced Mason Plumley with with Xavier Tillman, I think you're a better team. Um, Might be so. So even, but I think yeah, I think that there's it's tough with Minnesota because they've just showed no tendency to to want to play two bigs together. I, I, I don't think they. They didn't give that a chance at all. I think uh, Towns and Gogi Jeng might have played 16 minutes or something last year together, and, and that was it. They've really committed to that that small ball, you know, with the with the big five. But then you know, you, you Robert Covington or even like Mancho, who, who's a quite a small, you know, he's not a big, you know, lumbering big dude. So right, uh, I think I think that's that's kind of what they're going to stick with uh, if they. If they do draft a big, maybe that that plan has changed. Because I don't know, I, I'm not a huge fan of of completely shutting yourself off to an option, you know, a too big option, just because I think it can work in in certain situations. But uh, yeah, I, I think a guy like Tillman, uh, even you know, like there's not a, there's not a lot of big guys, but but Pokashevsky, like if you got Pokashevsky and you him and Towns might be like the most freakish front court of all time. Like I don't know, if it, I don't know if it'll lead to wins, but like it'll be fun to watch. Um, so yeah, it's like you've said, you know, from from the start of this podcast, it's it's going to be fun to watch what Minnesota do. And um, 15 years of being a Wolves fan, I, I can't say many times that I've said it's going to be fun watching what Minnesota do. So so I'm just happy about that. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, it it may still be tough in this West, and and I really hope yeah. that Minnesota kind of turns it around because they are the proxy for Denver, and 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 it's it's fun to to see Denver be the model for another team. Or and I I don't know if I would necessarily describe it like that either, but like like they're they're so connected in so many different ways, and they've they've built this team very similarly. I want to see stem, them get and there. It stems from that. It stems from that that playing game, doesn't it? Two, two, three years yeah. ago, like uh, that's kind of where the the divergence became. Where you know Minnesota looked like they were going to be the team that kind of uh, took ascendancy in the in the in the pseudo rivalry, and then um, it's turned out to be the complete opposite. And, and I love watching Denver. I know uh, a lot of Timberwolves fans might kind of uh, not have resentment, but but feel like they really need to beat Denver or they don't like Denver, but I think that stems from the from the Towns Jokic comparisons and and that playing game. But honestly, like as someone who's not a Denver fan on a on a on a Denver podcast, there there really isn't many better teams to watch in the NBA than Denver. I can't I can't see how you how you walked away from the bubble this year without thinking like, you know, damn, damn that's a fun team. I'm I'm rooting for it. I'm I'm rooting for it to be with Denver. I'm rooting for the T Wolves to really figure this thing out. It's a theoretical fit right now, but it, it's I'm hoping they put it in practice, and it's going to be really quick. Like this thing is going to turn around, and we're going to find out very quickly if on November 18th they make a mistake, and, and it looks like they make a mistake on December 22nd. But I'm uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm curious to see how it all goes down. Jake, you've been great. I I really appreciate you taking the time to to hang out with me and talk talk shop. 
Uh, where can the people find your content? Where can where can everybody go listen to and, and read your work? Yeah, so um, as you've said, you can find my, my written work over at Canis Hoopus, um, SB, Minnesota's SB Nation kind of partner. Um, my podcast, Pain Points, is, is on all, all the places you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, all that good stuff. And then, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Painting, uh, J-A-K-E-P-A-Y-N-T-I-N-G. So, um, yeah, give me a follow. I'm always I'm always down to chat and... Um, yeah, today's been awesome, man. Uh, um, I'm really happy you had me on. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Uh, obviously, you're welcome back. And when when the when the Nuggets and Wolves end up having their their three game series in the in the, uh, <laughs> the new era of basketball, we'll we'll ultimately we'll talk again soon. I I, I have no doubt. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That was, that was Nuggets numbers. Uh, I'm Ryan Blackburn, your host. Uh, follow me at, at NBA Blackburn and go rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast for sure too. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys on Friday.